There's something awful in this basement. Today I'm talking about Barbarian. This is Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Hello, movie friends. Welcome to Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. I am Scott, and today we are talking about Barbarian, which is a recent horror hit, uh, unexpected horror hit, because horror movies are always unexpected when they hit big, or at least comparatively big. But yeah, so I thought this one was interesting and wanted to talk about it. So without further ado, let's get started. In my review of Resurrection, I mentioned that I was enjoying the new surge in horror with feminist themes. In that movie, the film was a terrifying look at the impact of an abusive relationship and what can, the impact it can have on one person for their entire life. And no sooner did I write out my review of Resurrection when Barbarian, a recent horror hit, landed on HBO Max. The movie centers around Tess Marshall, a young woman who has been double-booked at an Airbnb in a rough neighborhood of Detroit, along with a young man named Keith. Though she initially finds Keith unnerving, Tess eventually agrees to stay the night until things get sorted out. But things go off the rails in a hurry when Tess discovers a disturbing basement in the house where someone has clearly been kept prisoner. So I think Barbarian is a solidly made horror movie. The performances are great across the board, writer-director Zach Kreger has a knack for delivering tense setups and backing them up with visuals, aka limiting the light that is or isn't able to peer into the said creepy, creepy basement. And it has something to say, in particular about rape culture, so big trigger warning for this one. At the same time, this movie is hard to talk about without spoiling at least half of it, if not all of it, so if you're interested in checking this movie out, I'd give it a soft recommendation. But if you want to know what I think of the whole shebang, let's go. Spoilers ahead. The key spoiler for this movie is that it does something of a fake-out ending halfway through that loops back into the story so it can make its real point. About halfway through the movie, Tess gets trapped in the awful basement and is rightly disturbed by what she finds, including a room that looks like a rape and torture dungeon, complete with a video camera. She only breaks out when Keith comes back. While Tess wants to get the police involved, Keith insists on having a look for himself. When Keith doesn't come back, Tess heads back down and discovers a new portion of the basement that goes even deeper. After heading down the path for what feels like forever, she comes across a freaked out Keith who says he's run into another human down there, at which point Keith is attacked by a mutated woman who smashes Keith's heads in, and quick cut to Justin Long. At first it's not clear why Long's character is involved, but we quickly find out two things. First, that he is a sitcom actor whose career might be over after, a sexu after sexually assaulting a co-star, and two, that he owns the house where all of this shit has gone down and ends up finding a still-alive Tess as he and Tess tangle with the mutated woman's whims who did this to her and trying to get free. And the person who did this to her is a man who's been imprisoning and assaulting women for years who can barely function now. Structurally, this is a great idea, since the movie gets to reset and reestablish the same tension it had earlier, with the added benefit of darkly bitter laughs via dramatic irony as Long's character ignores all of the evidence of terrifying things happening in the property he owns. For instance, instead of thinking what the fuck someone is doing filming in the shady room, he starts to Google whether or not he can include that space on his real estate listing. And once he heads down the stairs, we know it's only a matter of time before he meets our horrifying friend. 
Thematically, the movie is trying to break down the connective tissue between the house's former owner and its current owner, Frank, and even its unexpected occupant, Keith. In essence, each of these men are representative of an aspect of rape culture, ranging from the monstrous to the suspicious. The old man we're introduced to via flashback, via flashback, Frank, is an unapologetic monster and in a very biting scene has a one-sided conversation with a neighbor about how the neighborhood is going to hell, when it's pretty clear it already has. But Long's AJ isn't much better. He's the same kind of monster with a different, less creepy coat of paint, which is obvious from how he describes the sexual encounter that got him fired while drunk. Things get shake. This gets shakier when it gets to Keith, since there's nothing overtly wrong with him. However, he doesn't believe Tess when she says there's danger and pays the ultimate price. Which brings us to the real question. Is this an effective way to tell this story or make this point? Yes and no. In terms of bringing a metaphor to crushing life, it is very effective and over the top. But there are bits and pieces that don't line up. For instance, a man who is nothing but friendly gets killed by a mutated woman to up the stakes? It's not very clear. And there's a moment towards the end that is so physics-defying, even for my Fast and Furious-loving self, I couldn't believe it. And I wish the movie played a little more coy about Long's character so certain moments could hit harder. Really, it feels like this movie had a lot of early bits lined up and then threw together a bunch of ideas at the end. Still, not a bad idea overall. 7 out of 10. This has been Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie World, for the latest reviews, discussions, and more. See you next time, everybody, and stay safe.